know, as I grow older, and I'm sure many can attest to this, because if you're still breathing, we're getting older every day, that your perspectives change on things year to year. And um, you, you, start, you start processing things different than, than you do, you know, than I did especially 10 years ago. Um, when, when things, you know, hit you unexpectedly, you know, just, just everyday life things, it's, it's amazing to me that how if you look into the details, a lot of times what seems like just trivial things that's going to happen regardless, sometimes we can use those moments and, and literally recognize and say, okay, I see what you're doing, Father. I mean, all the way down to the, to the aggravations that we face at our jobs, from the aggravations and just the normal day-to-day toils of life, paying bills for those that are on our own and not still living in Beulah land with our parents. You know, you, met, you realize sooner, you know, what you had once you get away from it and you're responsible for everything, you know. So, and, and one thing I've seen is, is it helps to have people to talk to about things because it's amazing over the last several months how me and, me and people can have, be having certain conversations weeks ahead of time that things happen and you catch yourself in the moment reacting the way you were talking about you were going to prepare to react. And, and a lot of it is comical. You know, as you know, me and Scott talk a lot, and and it's amazing how if something happens during the day that we've been talking about, I'll text him or something, and and say, you know, I had an opportunity today just to look up and laugh and say, I see what you're doing, you know. So I'm, I'm hopefully we're all growing and and learning, you know, that our Father's got us on a journey. You know, we're we're on a journey. We're not necessarily on a destination. We're on a journey in this world, and we're so journeying for something. This permanent. So while we're here, we're always going to have, always going to have things that's going to come in, and and I what I what I'm looking at here lately is is especially this season. You know, we've been leading up to Passover, and 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 we know the major importance that that first Passover was, and, and we understand that. You know, the things that Yahweh had planned and ordained far ahead of time and how it all played out, we have the luxury of being able to look back. And we have the luxury of being able to draw spiritual parallels that fits us and that are relevant today that they didn't have the opportunity because they physically, literally walked and lived through these times. And and when so what I, some of the things I've been liking doing, I know this is not foreign to many of you, you know, when you're, you're looking at scriptures, trying to draw these parallels. Well, during this week especially, I've been looking at, you know, some of the spiritual parallels about the commandment of unleavened bread. And, and it, was, it was amazing to me to, to sit there last night and hear things confirmed that we've just been talking, you know, just throwing ideas out. And, and how much more walking away from that last night 
being able to find that spiritual application like that was so relevant and fresh last night. And it's probably been said a thousand times, but I, I digested it last night. Like it meant so much more hearing the way you brought out about the unleavened bread representing Yeshua this week. You know, and, and not trying to find a way for myself to try to, to draw a connection to something that 3,500 years ago, because I have a hard time imagining things like it. Like, I, I, I can sit here and fake all day long and say, oh yeah, I'm into this. But when you bring it up to speed on something that is relevant for me right now, I look forward to this week, to eating unleavened bread every day. Where before, I honestly, I mean, I'm just going to be real. I didn't really, really, I felt disconnected from it. Because it was something that was so far ago, I didn't leave Egypt in haste. They did. You know, and it's different for me hearing a story and trying to act like I feel that connection. But I feel that connection because I do believe in Yeshua. And I do have made Him the Lamb of my life. And so, so let's look at a few things this morning. I'm going to try not to be too long. And when you look at the command of unleavened bread when it was given to them, we know that it was to it was to remind them of their departure, of how they left Egypt. It was a reminder of the agony and the bondage that they left. And for us, one day, we're not going to ever remember the afflictions of this life. Just like they left in haste in the natural, sin also leaves in haste whenever we repent in the spiritual. Every time Israel ate unleavened bread during the feast, it was a reminder of Yahweh's provisions. And just like you said last night, every time that believers in Messiah eat it, it should remind us of our provision that He made for our sins. Uh, so today, I wanna, one of the topics I want to talk about is, this is something that, that I'm positive at some time or another that we've all dealt with. Matter of fact, I'm, I can guarantee that sometime or another, if we're old enough to have any emotion, we, we have dealt with, with this spirit or this emotion. Sometimes this spirit can come over us when times are hard, but the puzzling thing is it can also hit us when times are good. And we know that the battles that we face are not flesh and blood, but they're spiritual powers and principalities and powers of darkness that torment people. And, and, and this thing is big industry in the secular world. I mean, there is, I mean, there's no telling how many billions of dollars are spent for anxieties and depressions and all these things that there's no cure for in the natural. We've all felt it and we've all experienced it at some time or another in this emotion or spirit, however you want to call it, it's called discouragement. And discouragement means to extinguish the courage, to dishearten, to, the, to depress one's spirit, or to deprive of one's confidence. So I wrote this as, as I was reading some of these definitions. The spirit of discouragement can cause us to forget God's deliverance. If you don't believe it, just look how fast, how fast the tables turned with Israel whenever they were, whenever they had just 
witnessed the greatest deliverance in the natural up to this point has ever occurred. Look at how fast they came out of Egypt, fired up, and Yahweh took them on a detour, and how quick they got discouraged. Just like so many of us when we get saved. People come out, especially the darker life they live, the more life of, I mean, I know sin is sin and has consequences, but you know what I mean. Some people's testimonies are a lot more um, fascinating than others. And, and so a lot of times those people come out fired up, charging hell with a water pistol. Okay? But how fast do you see sometimes that fire extinguished whenever the emotion that overtakes you when the Messiah comes in and literally, I believe as Mark believes, that our, something in our DNA changes that gives us a desire to not walk after things of the flesh again. Look how fast that once that emotion leaves, how quick a lot of times when the first adversity hits these people, how many of them slowly just fade off the track. As Mark's quoted many times, Billy Graham sometimes would have hundreds, maybe thousands. And, and, and his son said they found some notes in his library that that was one of the things that was a, such a disappointment with him, as you've said, that they would come back and try to do polls in these cities and they couldn't hardly find five people. Because the cards, they fill out names, addresses, and all this, and they can't ever hardly find anybody, and that was the thing, lack of discipleship. So, we see that they made it to the mountain and experienced just supernatural I mean, lightning, thunders, hearing the voice of God coming from heaven. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine. I know we talk about this every year, but I would just, my, my, I would have sensory overload. I don't, I mean, I'm not going to sit there and ever talk bad about how they reacted because I'd have probably been leading the charge on that dude. I mean, I, I, I can't even hardly make it through the week knowing I got to get up here and speak in front of people. So I can imagine knowing what it's like to hear the voice from heaven. And yet they still got discouraged. Some of the things that can cause discouragement in our lives are calamity. Just think about how they felt when their backs were against the Red Sea. Pharaoh was charging. Hard circumstances. Think about going three days without water. I've been up here for 11 minutes and I'm about to die of thirst. <laughs> I can't imagine. Three days with no water. Do you think that could bring a spiritual high to a screeching halt? How about this one? Comparison. Comparison. How long did they make it before they started comparing how good Egypt was? When things got a little hard. You, you know that there's, there's, there's a lot of studies going on right now that's, that's trying to, like I mean there's hundreds of millions of dollars worth of research going into the effects of the age that we live in. It's a non-stop, constant barrage of information, stimulant with the brain. And some of the things that, they're, that they are seeing, I mean, kids as young as four and five years old is having to have therapy for depression. 
Really? Our minds are not designed to deal with a constant state of comparisons. Because when hard times hit or what you feel is a hard time, you may find yourself just like them to where Egypt looks a lot better than having to suffer through because they're, they look like they're all still having a blast. You know, Egypt's having a blast. We're out here thirsting to death, eating dried up bread. Discouraged people also blame others for their problems. Every time. It was Moses' fault, remember? So, this is where I want to go scripture-wise today. And um, let's go to Luke chapter 24. So, part of my discouragement for the week. I told Scott, I'm, I'm telling you I'm going to preach on prosperity or something one day. Because every time, I mean, you can get ready for it. I'm not even. I don't. I'm not even going to bore you with my mental issues this week. But one of them was change, and I hate change a lot, especially when it's sudden. And when I get my scriptures changed two days ahead of time, I'm not real tickled. Because I done sent Scott an article and I was like, and I was fired up about reading out of Habakkuk this morning because I've never, never done that. And I think Yahweh decided we wanted to go on a journey today. To be more specific, a seven mile journey. Turn to Luke 24, start in verse 13. Leading up to this verse, we know this is this is uh, this is on end of the day after two women went to the tomb and found it empty, and Yeshua had been raised. And let me read verse thirteen through fifteen real quick. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each, each other about all these things which had taken place. And while they were talking and discussing, Yeshua himself approached and began to travel with them. These guys, or guy and a lady, because some, some scholars believe since, since the only one of them was named that it may have possibly been his wife. Even. Um, but we don't know because it doesn't say. But these two travelers, I find it interesting. They are, they're leaving behind Jerusalem on a morning that the, one of the single most important world-changing events had just took place. And so as they're walking, I can't help but to wonder... You know, what was their conversation like that morning or that afternoon? One of the, one of the guys' name was uh, Cleopas. And, you know, I, you can almost just imagine that there was probably a little bit of disappointment in his voice. You know, you can almost hear him asking his his traveling partner, 
you know, and just saying, I just, I just don't understand. Because I know if I was in that position, I would be so confused because of what I had just witnessed for the past, however long Yeshua's ministry lasted. This guy was obviously in the inner circle, as we're going to see later on. He may not have been one of the disciples or appointed twelve, but he was in that circle. And you can imagine him asking his partner, you know, you witnessed the things that he said. We've seen the things that he done, right? How could he not be the one? Can you imagine their discouragement? After just one week prior, they may have possibly been some of the ones that were shouting and screaming as he came into the city and praising. And then here we are a week later that everything that he told us, everything that we believed, everything that we hoped for, gone. And verse 16 says this, because remember Yeshua walks up and joins their travel. Verse 16 says, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing Him. And that word is kept. And, and I've often wondered and still wonder, you know, how I can't, I can't picture how I could, you know, walk with you for every day for three years. Know you, and, and if you died and resurrected, I may be in disbelief, but how could I not recognize you unless your face, everything is totally different? And they didn't recognize him. And it said, the scripture says that they were prevented or their eyes were kept. And they were kept from recognizing the very presence of the Son of God, who had just been raised from the dead, raised in power and glory, the scripture says. And they didn't recognize him. So I wrote down for myself, what in our lives is keeping us from recognizing his presence? Because there's things that can keep us from recognizing when his presence is right amongst us. You can have some people that's falling out crying and feels the presence and some people stone cold standing right next to them and you just wonder, why? What is it in our lives that can keep us from recognizing His presence? We know that sin can. We know that worry and doubt can. And we know that discouragement can. Because they were experiencing some of these things. And we're going to see that in just a second. And He says, read on down in, and His eyes, was, it's verse 17, And He said to them, this is Yeshua speaking, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. One of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, it's kind of comical to me, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things that happened in these days? I mean, here they are talking to the one that this is about. And they're blinded to it, can't recognize Him. They're downtrodden, discouraged, upset, disappointed. And 
This guy, I mean, and, and our, if you fast forward this to our day and time, this guy obviously don't watch Fox News. He for sure don't have Facebook or Twitter. Are you kidding me? You don't know what's been going on here the last couple of days? Cleophas says, are you the only one in Jerusalem unaware of these things that happen? And Yeshua's answer is absolutely hilarious. He says, what things? And they said to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet in mighty deed and in word in the sight of Yahweh and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. Listen to this. So fast they lost all hope because they said, we were hoping that it was him who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, beside all this, this is the third day since these things began to happen. Do you think that their belief and their trust and their hope in Him was solely based off what they seen? What are we commanded to do? We're commanded to live by faith and not by sight. See, as I said, we have the luxury of looking back and being able to read and see the example of how... Fa- because our expectations sometimes are molded our environment that we're around. Their expectations of the Messiah, we've got to know this, was all about Him coming and setting up His kingdom. Alright, that was, that was what they're, that's what they grew up learning when they read the Scripture. That's all they seen because that's what they were taught. And they totally missed the most important element of His coming. And we're going to see that in just a minute. Y'all hanging in? And then they continue on and tell them that there were some women among us who amazed us. And when they were at the tomb early in the morning, they did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen visions of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it exactly as they said. But they did not see him. And Yeshua responds. But before I read what he responds, I I am fascinated with how he stayed absolutely silent. And he let them talk. He let them vent. He let them vent their frustration. Because most of us would have jumped in probably immediately and tried to correct whenever they started speaking things that we knew were not fact. He let them talk. And then he responds in a very stern way, but not hateful. Don't be deceived by the language that you read here. He's not being hateful to them. He tells them in verse 25, he says, Oh foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets had spoken. The first thing he addresses is the issue in the heart. Because that word slow means dull. 
their hearts had become dull. Because if you remember specifically on the issues that they just vented to him about, he had told them multiple times, plainly. Like he talked in parables a lot, but right there at the end, he was very clear to them, I am going to Jerusalem. I will be handed over. I will be crucified. Like, what part of that, I mean, he's listening to all this. What part of that didn't you understand? I'm going to raise on the third day. And they're already leaving Jerusalem. They're already out. They didn't even stick around. They had already, seems to be, that they had already lost hope. That he's crucified, he's dead. And they, it, they didn't even stick around to see if he was even going to raise. This is what can happen when we try to make sense of everything that happens in our life. Especially when it comes to our spiritual walk. There's some things that have to be by faith. Like I know we've had this discussion. I don't, it doesn't make sense why the events of history played out like they did. Why he would choose such a brutal way of redeeming us for our natural life. It doesn't make sense. But it's something I have to accept strictly by faith. Whether it can ever be proven to me through pages or not exactly why it happened, I have to accept that by faith. Verse 26. Yeshua says, Was it not necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things to enter into His glory? Then he began with Moses and with all the prophets. He explained to them the things concerning himself. And as he's teaching them, you know, as they're, they're still traveling on this, on this dusty road, of all the places Yeshua could have been on the day he resurrected, why in the world is he on a little two-path walking trail, walking away from Jerusalem, having a conversation with two discouraged ex-believers, obviously. That ought to show me and you that He will come to us in times of discouragement. We just have to have the faith to be able to recognize Him whenever, he's, whenever He does. In verse 27, I just read that. An interesting statement because he, we know that Yeshua begins expounding to them. After he tells them your hearts are dull, then he starts teaching the scriptures to them. And that would have been a sermon I would have loved to have been able to listen to. George Williams, he's a, he's a commentator, said, they had confined their Bible reading to that which the scriptures promised respecting the Messiah's glory and kingdom. That's what we said a while ago. They had been blinded or a veil was over their eyes to the multitude of types and prophecies that was foretelling the Messiah's sufferings as an atoning Savior. So how much do you want to bet without money that some of the things that he started teaching them would have been verses concerning his crucifixion? Him as a Redeemer. Because they've heard all the ones, and they knew the ones about the kingdom and about the Messiah ruling the earth. They, they knew all that. 
I just can't help to believe he didn't highlight some of those things to them. And as they approached the village, we know this part where he, he intends like he's going to go further. And they urged him strongly to stay and eat with them. Stay the night. And so we know that he did. And he says, it says this in verse 30. When he had reclined at the table, he took bread and blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to it to them. And like I said, no doubt, some of the verses, they probably shared Genesis chapter 3. Where it first talks about the Redeemer will come and crush the head of the serpent. No doubt the serpent on the pole was a passage that was mentioned. No doubt in my mind Psalm 22 was mentioned. And Isaiah 53. And so my question, one of, this verse has, has puzzled me for a, for a long time as to why their eyes were dimmed and blinded and prevented from recognizing Him and His presence. And then when He breaks bread, they recognize Him immediately and He vanishes. Has that ever puzzled y'all? Let's read just... Let me read, if y'all don't even have to flip there, let me read a passage in Psalm 22 just to get your mind's eye visualizing something that they had probably heard. In verse 16, it says, They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look, they stare, they divide my garments among them, and my clothing they cast lots for. Isaiah 53, verse 5 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. The chastising of our well-being, it fell upon Him, and by His scourging, we are healed. So with that in mind, think about this stuff's fresh on their mind. How long does it take to walk seven miles in the desert? A couple of hours at least. So they got to hear some probably way more expounding things that had never been taught to them like this concerning the Messiah. And... Y'all know how it is when you start processing new information. As things go, you start connecting dots here and there. And then, that scripture that says that there, he took the bread, blessed it, breaking it, he began giving it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him immediately and he vanished from their sight. This, this, I heard, I heard a guy say, make this statement, and when he did, it literally blew my mind. Because I don't, I have missed this, I've never, I don't know if I've ever heard it, if I had it, it never went into my spirit at all. I've always thought when he broke the bread, there may have been something, some kind of spiritual stronghold was broke and the scales came off their eyes. But if I invite you into my home, and we're sitting at a table, most of the time, we're going to be sitting across from each other, okay? So, if I break bread, and I hand it to you, did they see the scars? Did they see the scars? It's very possible that at that moment, 
everything that went on that week, it started making sense. Playback reel, they seen him on the cross. When he, when he told them about the serpent on the pole. Then he told them in, in Psalm 52 that he was pierced. And when he broke the bread, and he had Thomas seen the scars, we know they were still there. Can you imagine the flood of emotion? Because he's gone and they looked at each other and said, we're not our hearts burning. When I heard that, I weeped for 30 minutes. I said, I've never heard that before. I've never realized that they possibly could have seen the scars and at that moment. Because it says they jumped up immediately and ran back to Jerusalem to tell the others. And he said, and when they recognized him, I want to remind all of y'all something. He did more than forgive our sins. Can I sit for a minute? Isaiah says that he came to heal brokenhearted. We have power to overcome discouragement and despair in our life. If people are suffering with broken hearts, He fixed it at the cross. If you have marriages or relationships that are on shaky ground, Put it at His feet. All of our ailments, physical and spiritual, can be fixed at His feet. I don't know why that hit me so deep. But that is a love. Last night's focus was so... Y'all quit looking at me like I'm a big weenie. <laughs> can't help it when I think about I was watch, I watched the video that old song Watch the Lamb man I can't believe it. that song tears at me at the soul every time I listen to it and the things that we, that we put so much emphasis on a lot of times in our life We overlook the provisions. Because when you think about what David did whenever they came back to Ziglag and it had been raided and their families and children all were took and the men were wanting to stone him. It says that David strengthened himself. Listen, if you are down and discouraged, if you will strengthen yourself in the Lord, Yahweh. It says David strengthened himself in Yahweh. He had his trust and his faith in his God because he knew that he would pull him out of the pits in this time of despair. And Yeshua appeared to them again 
And, and he gave them such a beautiful statement that still goes for us today. That, you know, the thing, we worry, we worry about, you know, well, we don't worry. We want to know when he's coming back. Because we're ready to wrap this thing up, man. I mean, this, this world is just absolutely horrible. I mean, it, it, I can't, look, I'm going to tell you one of the sources of discouragement for me was the news, and I had to turn it off. And take it in very, very small increments because I spent my days frustrated and in agony, and I, and I'm, and I'm just got tired of doing it. So when I started turning and not watching so much news and reading everything that come out, it gives your spirit relief because we're not designed to carry that weight all the time on things that we cannot change anyway. His mission was very simple. Go to the world, teaching repentance, forgiveness of sins, proclaimed in my name to all nations. Do that work. Remember in Acts when they asked him? He said, don't even worry about that. That's for my father to decide. You go about. He didn't say this in that scripture, but what it means, go about and do your father's business. So if you find yourself in a spot to where you feel like everything is just going wrong and going against you, just strengthen yourself in Yahweh. Because outside of that, we, there's not a lot we can do on our own. We don't have the strength. Um, I wish I had more things to say clearly, but I feel like that's good. Um, we can all agree that we serve a mighty king, right? Context with what Douglas just shared. I uh, saw this meme and if it's out of your hands, it deserves freedom from your mind, too. 